presence in this place today. I thank you that your love is here among us, that, Lord, those that are watching online, that you are touching their lives, uh, touching their families. I know we have many people that are in quarantine watching online, and, God, I just pray that you would watch over them, keep them safe, heal them. And, Lord, again, we thank you for your presence in this place today as we open our hearts and our ears to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. And I am just, uh, I am so grateful for you guys being here today. I know God's got some amazing things in store. I know that he is going to uh, continue to bless him. You know, like any parent, when you seek, when you seek your parents' attention and you respect them, your parents reciprocate, right? And I know that as you're here this morning or as you're watching online, seeking God's face, I know that our parent, our father, is going to reciprocate that emotion. Amen? Do you believe that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are in a series. We started last week about what or, or who and what is the church. We took that up last week. If you remember last week, just to fill you in a little bit, we learned that those who follow Jesus, the Greek word is ecclesia, it means those that are called out, and we have chosen to be called out. That's who the church is, those that choose to follow Christ. And then we learned also what is a church service. And a church service really is the culmination, and we went a little deep, but we learned that the church service is really a culmination of time, space, and matter. That it really is a bringing together of the pinnacle of the matter of all that God created, humanity. The time, the pinnacle of time is the Sabbath, right? And the space is where those who are called out choose to gather. And it really is a pinnacle of time, space, and matter as it relates to our world. We talked a little bit about that as it relates to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem as well. But today we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 4, and because we are the body of Christ, God, through Jesus, has given his body certain gifts. How many of you got yourself, you know what, I'm not going to ask, let's just not go there. How many, but how many of you gave yourself a gift this Christmas? Maybe you were shopping for family members, but you on Amazon or Walmart or wherever, you kind of went, well, I kind of like to have that. I'll buy, I'll buy it for myself, or I'll buy it for my husband to give it to me, or I'll buy it for my wife. Let's not single out. We men do it too. Right, I'll buy it for my wife, for my wife to get it for me, or whatever. And we buy ourselves a gift. Can I just see hands? I'm going to change this a little bit. Let me see the hands. Yeah, you didn't even have to get my question out. She's like, yes, I bought stuff for myself. How many of you bought stuff for yourself while you were shopping for others? See, you selfish, sinful people. No, I'm kidding. Because I'm, I'm in the same category, right? So I purchased stuff for myself as well. But when you love yourself, and you love your body... You take care of your body, and you give gifts to yourself, right? I gave the gift of a gym membership to my body. Wasn't that wonderful? My body doesn't think so, but I know it'll thank me later. And so when you love yourself and you love your body, you take care of it. And what we find in Ephesians chapter 4 is Paul telling the church in Ephesus, because we are the body of Christ and we're loved by God, 
he gives his body certain gifts to help maintain it, help grow it, help keep it functioning properly. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter 4 today, prior to our verses, Paul has been talking about unity in the body of Christ. That it's important that we stay unified in the body of Christ. And that unity, we know, according to the Psalms, that the unity brings the Holy Spirit's indwelling and brings the Holy Spirit's power at work. It's when we become dysfunctional or we begin to have disunity that the Holy Spirit ceases to bless the church, right? And so if you're with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13, let's read those, and then we're going to get moving. Starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. We'll dive into that in a second. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. All right? So we're going to work through this for the next four to five weeks. We're just going to work through these passages and talk about apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, how they function in the church body, how they work, how they build up the church, how they grow the church. Uh, But this morning, let's start specifically looking at verse 7. We have a very kind of confusing phrase or passage that Paul reiterates, and he pulls it from Psalm 68, verse 18, which is a prophecy simply about the death of Christ descending into the lower regions of earth or hell and the grave or the afterworld, and then descending and then ascending back up into heaven, right? Whatever goes down must come up. That was kind of a joke. It was very bad, wasn't it? I just need more caffeine, that's all. So he descended. What What does that mean? Specifically, what does it mean that he ascended on high and took many captives? What does that mean? When we look at it in light of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, and 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 6, specifically what we find out is, is that Jesus, everyone who passed away before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, everybody who passed away went to the same place. Okay? And the Bible then says that Jesus went down into the underworld or paradise or, or wherever, whatever you want to call it, and he proclaimed the good news of himself and said, I am the Messiah. Believe in me. And he proclaimed that message to them, and they had the option to either believe it or not believe it. You guys with me? So he goes down and he proclaims himself, and then as he ascends back up to earth, as it were, now we don't know if that's directionally up or it's another dimension, how exactly that works, it's simply that when he, when he came back to earth, those that believed in him, he, 
they were his captives, so to speak. They came with him as he ascended. And those who did not believe did not come with him. And so he took many captives. Now on his way up to heaven, on his way up to heaven, he did what? He took those that believed with him to heaven. We know that Jesus had to be the first fruit of the resurrection. He was the best, the best of humanity and the best of God, and so he was the first fruit. We know that. He's the first to ascend into heaven, and then all of those follow him. And then on his way up, he gives his body, the ecclesia, the called out, those of us that are attending church, those that are watching online that follow Jesus, he gives us gifts, He gives gifts to his body to keep his body functioning properly. So he takes all of those up to heaven, and then he says, now I'm going to give gifts, and and he distributes gifts to the body. Are you guys with me? Does this make sense? He says, I'm going to institute this organism, not organization, but I'm going to institute this organism called the church into humanity, And it will be the means by which I will eventually save the earth. It's my body. This is my plan. And so what does he do? He gives gifts. Now, verses 9 through 10 are in parentheses. And it's simply just Paul explaining the verses prior. Okay? It's not that they are any less important, but for us, since the next next few weeks, we're going to kind of just jump over those and jump into what are called the five-fold gifts of ministry in the body of Christ. And the first one that he lists here, as he says in verse 11, so Christ gave himself the apostles. And we're just going to camp out here today. Like, what is an apostle? What does an apostle do? What's their role in the church? I, I asked somebody, because I don't hunt, Okay, but I asked somebody who does hunt, I said, could you, could you, can I borrow an arrow? And in fact, I texted them, so thank you, Riffy family. I said, um, I need an arrow as an illustration today. When this arrow is fired, now I don't hunt, but I at least know this. When the arrow is fired, which end goes up against the string in the bow? Is it the point, or is it the end with the... These aren't even feathers. What are these things called? What are these things called? Are they feathers? Fins. Feathers. Okay, sure. That sounds great. Fins. I don't even know what that word is. Okay. So you, you, you put this in into the string, and you pull back, and then you release, and it shoots forward, right? Now, which end goes into the animal the pointy end as my wife says that's very good (laughs) the pointy end not this end you don't fire it this way do you how far are we going to get if it goes this way right well the pointy end if you will in the church I liken this pointy end to the apostles they are the ones who are fired out And they go in first, and they make room for the rest of the shaft to go in to be effective. So 
if you're a hunter, the pointy end is the apostle. All right, they fire in first. Apostles usually will go in maybe where there's not a church, or they'll go in and put a church straight. We see that throughout Scripture. They'll they'll go into a church and and shift it and 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 put it back into joint and work things out, or they'll go in where a church is not, and they'll begin to raise people up. And the Apostle Paul did this on his three missionary, we call them missionary journeys, we could probably almost call them apostleship journeys, where he goes in and starts a church. He finds people after about three years or four years, he finds people that are worthy to be called elders because he's discipled them and put into them, and then he raises them up. And then as an apostle, he appoints the pastor and he moves on. And so this was God's plan. And so an apostle actually means, the Greek word is actually a compound Greek word, apo, which means away, and stello, to send. It means to send away. It means to send away, someone who's sent away, but it's not just like send away like you send your dog out the back door to go do their business, right? Like go on, go do your business, get out of here. He sent with an intentional purpose to establish a mission, to kind of establish something that was not there before, right? And so this apostle or apostello, and it means that this person comes in with authority of the one who's been sent. They come in with the authority into, into new territory with the authority of the one who's sending them. This representative has power. This representative, and we'll see that in just a little bit, this, this representative has power. This representative um, has authority from whoever has sent them. Think of it almost like, how many of you have heard the term that we as Christians are ambassadors to the world, right? We come in with the authority of heaven, right? Think of, think of, of an apostle as an ambassador on steroids. Does that work? So they go in and they, and they establish things. They do new things that haven't been done before. Uh, they establish churches. They disciple. They raise up, etc. In fact, this word would actually be used of a government sending in a governmental representative into an area where that country wanted to establish more influence, whether it was in the arts or whether it was military or whether it was just um, a, a political creating political ties with the other country. They would go in to establish that country, those ideas, those thoughts, etc. <clears throat> now, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of differences of opinions into what defines an apostle, okay? And so I know that we have multiple theological backgrounds here this morning, and so I would encourage you to go out and study it on your own and find out what you believe. I'm going to give you basically a high-level definition of what defines an apostle. Now, here's why all of this matters. Because God said, listen, there are going to be areas where the church needs to either be jointed back into the body of Christ properly, or there's going to be places where the church needs to be raised up. Not everybody is called to be an apostle. As we go through what defines an apostle, you'd be like, wait a minute, I have that in my life. I have that in my life. I have that in my life. But imagine you had it in your life on steroids. 
just super like boom, right? This is what defines an apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. I preserved, uh, I, I am sorry, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Paul says to the church at Corinth, and if you understand much about the church at Corinth, the church at Corinth was messed up. In fact, I, I love just what happens with the church of Corinth. Here's what happens with the church of Corinth. If you know anything about the city of Corinth, okay, they were an extremely sexualized culture, more so than we even are today. Okay? Um, their sidewalks even had body parts etched into the sidewalk. Like, it was just everywhere. It was rampant. Okay? Um, and so, and, and archaeologists have discovered all of these types of things. I mean, it was just rampant in the city of Corinth. Now, so Paul goes in to the city of Corinth, and he begins to establish a church in Corinth. And not just a church, but multiple churches in the, around the city. Um, and what begins to happen is they bring their methods of worship from Greek mythology into the church. And it escapes me who had her temple, which Greek goddess had her temple in Corinth. Can you help me out? I put you on the spot, so yeah, I understand. So, but the, one of the ways that you worship this Greek goddess is by physical intimacy with a priest or priestess. Okay, well, that was their way of worship. So what did they bring into the church? Well, this is the way we've worshipped. And Paul is trying to correct this in the church because it begins to run rampant. And all indications are that the, it was a high-ranking person in the church that introduced that into the church. And so Paul's like, wait, time out. You can't be doing this. And he, and he starts giving all of these instructions, right? And so the church writes him and says, well, what do you think about this? And Paul writes him back. And then they say, well, we're having this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. And Paul goes, let me tell you about problems, right? I've been shipwrecked, snake-bitten, beaten, um, imprisoned. And then we have no more letters from the church of Corinth. It was almost as if they went, okay. <laughs> like, we're not, okay, <laughs> never mind, right? We do know that the church of Corinth has three letters. We have the second and third letters, but we know the second, hold on. We know second and third is first and second. We don't know where the first letter to the church of Corinth is. Are you guys with me on that? All right. So Paul goes in and he goes, I came into your situation. I came into your issue and I persevered and I built a church and I did everything that I needed to do in your city or in your town to spread the gospel and to bring the gospel. Put 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 up there. Again, he says, I persevered in all of this madness and all of this mess that exists in your city that's just crazy in demonstrating. The word demonstrating means extremely hard, laborious work. It literally means work that will consume your entire life. It's not work that I go to nine to five or the class that I sit to and then I go to another class and then I go to another and I come home and then I, no, the word demonstrating means it's, this will consume my life. My life is no longer my own. One of the things 
one of the signs of an apostle is that it is a person whose God's call in their life fully consumes them. It consumes everything about them. It consumes their marriage. It consumes their family. It consumes everything in their life. This is meant to be hard intellectual labor. It's hard emotional. It's emotionally difficult. It's physical labor at times. The call of an apostle is not easy. They don't really get to, once they choose to follow God's plan for their life and God's will for their life, they don't really get to choose to go out and do something else because if they do, they're just miserable and depressed. And it's, it is a calling that is, that is so fully consuming. And I would pray, you say, Tyson, what, what am I supposed to take from all this? One, I would pray that you would pray to be consumed by God. That we would be consumed by God so that when we go out into the workplace, so that when we go out into wherever, pumping gas, that people would see God on us. They would recognize Jesus in us. That they would sense the power of the Holy Spirit in and working through us. That we, they would know who and, and what we are. And you may not be called to be an apostle, but there's no reason that people can't see Jesus in you and that you can't be consumed with Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're all called to do. Why are they so called? Because they represent God personally in an area where God wasn't fully known. And they're called to a very difficult job of starting something that doesn't exist or realigning something that's out of joint. And you're not talking about just a company and organizational structure. You're talking about people's lives and the way people think and talking about cultures and diversity and all of these various things that comprise, of, that comprise people and towns and cultures. So what are the signs... Um, what are this, that, that's really what some of what defines an apostle and some of the signs he says I persevered it means to stand up under extreme pressure pressure that most of us would just quit this is too hard I'm done I'm out I quit I mean could you imagine being Paul walking into Corinth in that kind of that, that kind of city you know we we, we categorize LBGTQ, we categorize that sexually, but in the city of Corinth, that didn't exist. Everybody was just sexual. You just, when you would go to an amphitheater in Corinth and you'd say, honey, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go get some popcorn, or I need to go to the restroom, there were people in the restroom waiting to make you happy, so to speak, and then you just go back to your seat, and that was just common. That was just common in the city of Corinth. Paul goes into that and says, I realize that you, and we even have archaeological documentation where rulers in Corinth are like, yeah, we're, we're, just, we're just a sexualized city, and that's who we are, and that's how we operate. It's okay. Nobody's categorizing anything. We're just all whatever. And Paul goes into that and says, whoa, time out. Time out. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he sets up a church. And they start bringing that into the church. And then Paul has to come back and say, no, guys, stop it. This isn't Greek mythology. This isn't worship 
of a goddess, and I still can't remember her name, right? And so he's constantly working, it's laborious, and it's hard, and he's persevering. It means to stand up under extreme pressure, to have patience, to have grit, to have fortitude. When anybody else would just walk out and be like, this is too hard, I'm done. I can't do this. I can't do this. In fact, in Romans chapter 5 and James chapter 1, we find that patience should be at work in all of our lives. When you're going into a situation and you don't understand how it's going to work out, and you don't understand why things don't make sense and things aren't aligning the way you think they should have an opportunity to work out your patience, to work out your grit, to work out your perseverance, because Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that when you do that, you build character. And Jesus is more about building character than he is building happiness. And the sooner the church gets a hold of that, the more mature she'll become and the more tolerant she'll become. Because maturity and tolerance are directly linked. And I'll let you work that out on your own to think through that. But Christ is in the, in the business of building mature saints. And so he's building up his body. And one of the first things he does is he uses apostles to go in and begin to do things. And he approves of them because they work. The next thing is that they work signs, wonders, and miracles. And I don't have time this morning to break down each of these three words and what they mean. Simply that when an apostle goes in, there are, there are super, supernatural things that can't be explained in the natural world that begin to happen. Things that don't make sense. They pray for people and they get healed. Doctors are like, I don't understand what just happened. Right? And so... He says, like, I went in and I began to work signs, wonders, and miracles. So that why? So that people would begin to take notice. That people would begin to take notice of the authority, to the authority that they have through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also learn that in Acts chapter 9, verse 15... You can look this up later. Acts 9.15, apostles are not appointed by humans. There is no committee that votes for an apostle. Apostles, like Paul, are chosen directly by God to go in and do. In fact, we do have an example of an apostle being voted in in Acts in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, they, they vote in, and, and, and they, they vote in Matthias. And the interesting part is, is that the one apostle that got voted in by humans is never heard from again in the Gospels after that, or in the, in the New Testament. They're never heard again. That Matthi Matthias was voted in by humans, and then he just drops off the map. But the other 11 go out. And then Paul sees Christ on the... Sees Christ sees Christ, and Christ says, I have chosen you as an apostle. Apostles are directly chosen by God. We don't get to vote on who they are. We don't get to pick them. Because honestly, if you understood the work, who would even sign up to be an apostle? <laughs> right? It's not easy. It's not easy at all. We find, um, we find in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, where Paul's writing, and he says um, to... He, he writes about Andronicus, who is an apostle. He writes about 
um, Junia, who is an apostle. We see both male and female apostles in the New Testament. And he says of them, he says of Andronicus and Junia, he goes, they are outstanding apostles. Now here's Paul. Like, the possibly other than Jesus, the biggest influencer of the church. And he goes, tell Andronicus and Junia, tell the male and the female apostles, these two are outstanding in the realm of apostleship. And so if Jesus is going to build his body, he has to first start with the tip of the arrow and send people in. You and I can look to people like, like Paul and John and Peter and say, I need more of that in my life. Paul even wrote, he said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Because an apostle's work is not easy. It's intellectually tiring, emotionally tiring, physically tiring to be on the front lines. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, as we talk about apostles and think about apostles and what they do and their role in the church, these are people who are out there doing the work of the ministry. Now, I know that some people would say, well, apostles don't exist today. Um, I, I just differ in that. These are gifts given to the church as a whole, and the church is still in operation. The body of Christ is still working. Apostles are, apostles are still needed to go into areas, to set up churches, do things that most people are like, what in the world are you doing? Um, apostles still exist today in my opinion. Now, I know some of you sitting out there will completely disagree, pull me off to the side of service after service and go, ah, no, 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 look at this verse, etc. That's fine. The goal is, is that we all preach Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead and the hope of salvation. The goal is, is that as we look at apostles' lives, we say, I need more of that. I can follow them. I can look into their life and study them and learn from them. Don't we all, how many of you growing up had some big dream, in closing, how many of you had some big dream, like you wanted to grow up to be like a professional athlete, a professional musician, artist, let me, let me see your hand, keep, okay, keep your hands up, now, in that, did you happen to try to emulate and mimic them, everybody still got your hands up, okay, you can put your hands down, why is that? That's not a rhetorical question. Answer. Somebody. Who, why did you emulate your, your hero who you wanted to be like? Yeah, you wanted to be more like them. Mask. I can't see people's mouth moving. So I don't know who said that. But um, it was over in this area. Um, you, wanted, you wanted to be like them. The reason we have the stories of the apostles in the Bible is so that when you read your Bible and you study these people, I want to be more like that. I want to study that. I want to know what that is. Odds are, nobody in this room is getting called to be an apostle. These are like elite people, okay? But there's portions of their lives that we should study, that we should understand. So this morning, as you go out, I want to encourage you to read your Bible and to find, okay, who were who, Paul and John and Peter, and, and read, read these people, Matthew, Mark, read, study, learn, emulate them, as Paul said, mimic me, mirror me, as I mirror Jesus. So that when we go out there, we are Jesus 
walking through the earth. Amen? Amen? All right, let's stand up. I'm excited. I believe that God's got some amazing things in store for you this week. God's got some awesome things that he wants to do in your life. And we're going to close with a song, so I'm going to ask you guys to come on back up. And as they're singing, if you need prayer for anything, I want to pray with you. I want to believe God with you. If you're watching online, I want to pray with you as well. Put your comments, uh, put your prayers in the comments and or message the river or Grandview and we'll pray with you. But again, let me pray. We're going to sing one last song and the altar is open for you should you need prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you chose in your body to give the gift of apostleship. People that would go in and be the first ones into an area and, and to set up churches and work in the power of God and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would move in their life. Lord, I pray for us that you would move in our life. Lord, that you would increase our patience, increase our perseverance and our grit. As we read about the apostles in the New Testament, that we would be like that, to grow like that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.
Jesus, we praise you, Father. God, we just thank you for today, God. We thank you that we can lay at your feet and bow before you and worship you in all righteousness and holiness, Lord. We thank you this week that we are going to give ourselves to you wholly, Lord. We thank you that we can um, just give it all, God, all our worries and fears, our health, our, our lives, Lord, to you. So we surrender it to you this week. We go out into this world today with power and strength straight from you, God, and we ask that you would fill us up to overflowing, God. We love you so much. We praise you, and um, we adore you in your name. Amen. Have a great week. We love you so much. And if you need prayer for anything, let us know.